Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 And we're glad about it. Um, I see all your comments. <laughs> I see all your comments about the Larry Elder conversation. As I say, uh, I, I am never afraid to uh, re-examine the assumptions I hold. I am never afraid to have my inventory of ideas expanded. And as somebody once said famously many, many years ago, that a broken clock can be right twice a day or is, in fact, right twice a day. So I'm not afraid to talk to people like Larry Elder, but it is, it is humorous. It's almost like a circus act. Um, and I, I can't take more than 30 minutes of that. I couldn't give him the whole hour cause I can't, my heart can't take it, but it was a fascinating conversation. And so, uh, uh, my way is to ask the questions, let them give the answers and you're smart enough to figure out, uh, who makes sense and who's stuck on stupid. Uh, I, I digress it. I'll leave that alone. Um, uh, so that's Larry Elder. Now a conversation uh, about, uh, political trending topics, including last night with the democratic pollster and MSNBC analyst, uh, Fernand Amandi, uh, Fernand, good to have you on. How are you, sir? Hey, Tavis, great to be on here with you on the on the show. Man, it's good to have you on. As you heard me say, we just had a half hour with Larry Elder, who did not make the debate stage last night, is now suing the RNC. Uh, so it was, a, it was a fascinating half hour. Just trying to My hit. condolences. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was a fascinating. I've known Larry for 37 years. Uh, we both started, um, well, I was on actually talk radio uh, in Los Angeles here in my hometown. I was on uh, radio here, uh, talk radio locally uh, before Larry arrived, but he came to my station. And so we've known each other for 30 years, and it's been fascinating all 30 years to have these dialogues uh, every now and again. So anyway, I digress on that. Uh, your take um, on, on what you saw last night, I don't need to color this first question much more than that, sir. You know, Tavis, uh, I, I kept watching last night and thinking to myself, I mean, last night's Republican debate was a lot like, you know, getting the invite to the cookout, and then you realize there's no grill there, you know, without, <laughs> without Donald Trump at the debate, kind of like, what's the point? Why is this even happening? Because when you look at the lead he has numerically, and I don't think people mention this enough in the media, Tavis, he has an unprecedented lead in history when it comes to Republican nominating contests. In other words, no one has ever had this kind of a lead before and relinquished it. When you're up 40, 45, 35 points over your next closest competitor, and no one really seems to be emerging as an alternative, yeah. it really calls into question the validity of these debates especially when they're all up there, and then to, to add insult to injury, none of them, with the exception of the two that have no chance to win, Chris Christie and, and Mike Pence and the others, none of them were willing to take on Trump directly. So I saw it as a win for Donald Trump mm -hmm. and also as a win for President Biden because no one up on that stage, I think, would put any fear in him if they were the nominees. There are those who are, who are opining uh, this morning, and for that matter last night as well, that Nikki Haley, uh, while she didn't necessarily take Donald Trump on, she told a bit more truth about his track record and his current uh, situation than anybody else. Did that? Did that? Did that? Uh, did that impact you in any way? You know, in the sense that she might have been willing to say some things, but the fundamental question I think was asked by the moderators. And you look at what Nikki Haley's response was. They asked if Donald Trump ends up being convicted by any of these indictments, would they still support him as the nominee for president? All of them, including Nikki Haley, raised their hand. So it's really tough to buy out of the one side of their mouths anything that sounds like criticism, but yet are unwilling to take him on in the most fundamental of ways. And that's the dynamic playing out in this Republican primary, Tavis. And that's why I think Donald Trump has a commanding national lead and a double-digit lead at least in all of the early primary mm. states. This mm. is his nomination to lose. Yeah. Somebody's got to take it away. It's not going to be him. Let me let me pivot uh, 
to the moderators for a quick second since you raised it, and then I'll come back to the candidates. Um, sure. How do you think the moderators did last night? And let me let me just give you my assessment right quick. Um, I I was actually um, I won't say impressed. But because this is all about optics, Fox News understood very clearly going into that debate last night um, what America uh, thought and thinks of them. Everybody knows about the the seven hundred ninety million dollar payoff um, yeah, for the, for the trouble they got themselves in. We all know that backstory. And so I was watching last night as a media personality to see how the moderators were going to do whether they were going to mail it in or try to get some of that, uh, if I can put it this way, credibility back, some of that integrity back. I thought the moderators asked some pretty decent questions last night. That was my read. What was your read? You know, we're on the same wavelength, Travis. I, I thought they did a great job. You know, some people said, oh, that things had gotten out of control, that it was unwieldy, that they were letting the other people talk and go over the, 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 the time limits. I think that's okay in a debate sure. as long as it doesn't revert into total chaos. And I thought, to me, you know, the, the, the elements that you're looking for, like you described, something to get their credibility back. Look, they asked several of the candidates direct yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't answer those questions, they, they pushed back and said, hey, yeah, but you didn't answer the question. That's not what we were going at. Mm-hmm. At one point, which I thought was one of the highlights, or maybe lowlights if you're in the DeSantis campaign, he started talking about how we don't want to talk about Trump and we can't talk about the past. And the moderator, Brett Baer, said, wait a minute, buddy. You're down 35, 40 points to this man in this debate right now. Don't be talking to me that this is about the past. Come on now. And you saw him like shrink. He shriveled up there like, you know what, mm. when he got that pushback from the moderator. So I agree with that. I thought they did a really good job. Yep. Um, to, to, to the point you raised earlier, nobody, to my mind, uh, stepped out clearly as number two. It seems to me, though, that the two persons that most people are talking about today are Nikki Haley and the guy Vivek, whose last name I still cannot pronounce. But, but talk to me about you how. You, both. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> talk, talk, talk to me about how you think he did, whatever his last name is. Look, I think he was there as a stand-in for Donald Trump. Uh, I actually thought Chris Christie's line was pretty good about calling him Vivek uh, Chat GPT because you know he sounded like a talking points machine there. And look, at the end of the day, here, here's what this is all about. I mean, let's talk about this again in the grand scheme. Mm-hmm. This is Donald Trump's nomination. He's got it on lockdown. Now, there's going to be another debate, Tavis, actually in your neck of the woods on September 27th. It's mm-hmm. the next Republican debate. Yep. That's the real debate because on that one, which, A, we already know Trump is not going to attend. He's already made that clear, and nor should he attend tactically. That's going to be a mistake for him to go. Yeah. It's going to be whittled down to probably, by my count, no more than five candidates. And that's where the knives are going to come out, and I think you're going to start to see them carve each other up. Again, not to be the person that is going to replace Trump, but rather who can potentially be the last man or the last woman standing, if these indictments and these legal issues get to the point where Trump himself has to step down from the race and somebody's going to have to then go for that nomination. Yeah. No, no other scenario is one where they're going to take it away from Trump themselves. I thought I heard you say this earlier in the conversation, and if I did, uh, then you're pretty much uh, simpatico with everybody else I've talked to or read uh, or, or, uh, over the last um, uh, 24 hours uh, or less, and that is that it was wise of him, in retrospect, to not show up. Now, I, I hear the argument, and I get it strategically, politically, I get it, but it's just a weird thing to say that it's a, it was a wise decision for the front-runner who wants to be president to not show up on a debate stage. Yeah, I mean, look, first and foremost, you're right that normally, normally it would be the wrong thing to do, to skip out. But again, we're talking about Trump, so by definition, we're talking about abnormal things, sure, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> 
This is a guy who is the former president. We've never really seen a former president who has been defeated before run again. Certainly not in this century. I don't think it's happened in something like 60 years. So, or, or no more, longer, 100 years. So Trump is unique in this regard. He's got total name identification, right? And more importantly, Tavis, and I think this is really putting your finger on why last night was kind of almost unnecessary. The Republican Party today, today, I'm not talking about 10 years from now, I'm not talking necessarily about 10 years ago, but today mm -hmm. it is a personality cult, and it's a personality cult around the person of Donald Trump. So why is he going to go there? when there is no need for him. He's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a giant plane with seven midgets. You know, you wouldn't even, there's no need for him to do that. And the only thing that he could do is not only potentially expose himself legally by saying something stupid in the debate, but there's always a chance, you know, another uh, one of the contenders could do some damage, create one of those viral moments. So why risk that when nothing that would have happened last night was going to change the dynamic? And by his very absence, he feels like the 800-pound gorilla there, even when he's not there. I mean, he, he was, his specter was casting a, an umbrella over the whole proceedings from start to finish. Yep. Uh, let me ask you right quick here. We'll continue when we come forward here. Um, but um, Donald Trump was not there last night. Where he was, uh, was uh, he was seen, of course, in a, in a pre-taped conversation with uh, Tucker Carlson <clears throat> on X, formerly Twitter. And these numbers are, are, are fascinating because the way Twitter does their numbers, I'm, as, I, as I understand it, and I've been reading about this, the way they do their numbers is if you watch it just for a few seconds, they still count you. Um, and there are ways to be double counted. If you go to it and come back to it again, you're still the same person, but they double count you. But the numbers we're looking at right now suggest that 150 million Americans, 150 million Americans saw some part of of that Trump interview with Tucker Carlson. So hold that answer for a second. When we come forward, I want to get your take on how to read those numbers, 150 million people. Uh, we haven't, we, we won't get the Fox News numbers until later today, um, but uh, 150 million people, we are told, saw some piece, if not the entire part, of the Tucker Carlson conversation with Donald Trump. And then, of course, uh, today Donald Trump turns himself in in Atlanta. We'll talk about the, the politics of that and how he's going to use that, just like he used his absence last night, to advance his campaign. More uh, with uh, Fernand Armandi when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. All right, Fernando Amandi, good to have you on. Thank you uh, for these uh, these uh, downloads and these insights. So I, I asked a moment ago, uh, opposed a moment ago, this question I want to get your take on, and that is these Trump numbers. Again, what I'm looking at right now says about 150 million uh, fellow citizens saw some part or all of the Trump conversation with Tucker Carlson. If those numbers are legitimate, if those numbers are real, there's another reason Trump was smart to not be on that stage last night. Well, again, I, I agree. It was definitely smart for him not to attend that debate last night. And, and the idea of counter-programming with the Tucker Carlson uh, interview was exactly the sort of move you would have expected Trump to have made. But you're going to have to forgive me, Davis, because I cannot take an Elon Musk-provided statistic. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. these days, because <laughs> just think about what he's saying. Yeah. 150 million of our fellow citizens, that means one out of every three Americans mm -hmm. uh, watched that, uh, actually more, closer to one in every two Americans, and I, and I doubt that's the case. But look, was it a smart move? Yes. And it played right into Trump's hands, and especially when you factor in, he could also, Trump meaning, Trump could have chosen when to do the uh, turning himself in for the Georgia indictment, mm -hmm. 
It's no accident that he's doing it the day after the debate in prime time because he wants to wipe that debate from the public consciousness. So I think that's a really another smart move by the Trump campaign. Yep. Um, tell me more about how you think he plays this thing in Atlanta. It's already clear to me, to your point, that doing it the day after the debate is part of the strategy. It's clear to me from what he and others around him are saying that they're going to make this. They're going to play the race card, if you will, uh, given that Ms. Willis happens to be an African American woman. So I can some of this stuff is is is, is as clear as day. But give me your sense. You, you're the expert analyst here give me your sense uh, as to how he's going to play this in the coming days and weeks and months well look i mean he he's doing the carl rove remember carl rove that republican operative in sure. the george w bush years he, he was always of the belief that you turn your your weakness into a strength and that is exactly what trump is doing and trying to take these criminal federal indictments of which they're happening in multiple states multiple jurisdictions, and basically turning them into a, a circus, so to speak. This is evidence that the government is, quote, going after me, and they're doing it because I'm in the way of them going after you. It's very much in line with that jujitsu like notion politically of trying to turn lemons into a lemonade. So I suspect tonight, you know, he's going to go there, he's going to book himself, he's going to take that mugshot, and then they're going to try and raise a bazillion dollars around that from his sucker supporters, because obviously he needs to pay for a massive legal defense. In a lot of respects, Tavis, Trump's entire campaign for the presidency in 2024 is a campaign to stay a free man. Because if he wins the election, you know, then all sorts of crazy things can happen. But clearly, if he doesn't, or if he falls short in the nomination contest, he's looking at hard time in the you-know-what. Yeah. Uh, There's your phrase of the day, Trump and his sucker supporters. I I love that line. Trump and his sucker supporters, courtesy of uh, Fernand Amandi, who is uh, an MSNBC political analyst and Democratic pollster. And speaking of being a Democratic pollster, when we come forward in our remaining moments with Fernand, I'll get his take on what last night means for the Democrats. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tap is smiley. Smiley continues when we come forward. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tabby Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Fernando Amandi is the managing partner of Ben Dixon and Amandi, the nation's leading multilingual and multi-ethnic public opinion research and strategic communications consulting firm. He is also an MSNBC political analyst and, uh, as I just said, Democratic pollster. Uh, I've got three minutes left in this conversation, Fernando, which I've enjoyed immensely. Thanks for your insights. Um, let me close by asking what last night means for the Democrats. Well, look, I think what it means for the Democrats is they, they understand now any hopes that the Republican Party was going to try and moderate their message and kind of go back to the old Republican Party. I think that was dashed within the first hour of the debate last night. So I think what it means for the Democrats is, while it's certainly not a gimme or a layup election, they should run scared, run like they're behind. But if they're faced against Donald Trump, which I think is going to be the nominee, what they need to do is prosecute the case against Trump and Tavis at the same time talk about what they have accomplished in their four years in power. And when you look at that record, particularly President Biden, and this, ref- this election in November 2024 is going to be a referendum on President Biden, mm-hmm. this has been the most successful economic presidency in 60 years, especially when you consider the disaster that was handed to the president when he took office in January of 2021 in the midst of the COVID pandemic, the disastrous handling, the economy was in free fall. He was able to sustain it, 
move it to a place of stability. Sure, we've had some inflation issues. We all know the cost of the groceries. Heck, I was there myself the other day, mm-hmm. and you see it's expensive, but things are getting better, and the economy is moving forward. Record unemployment, low unemployment, the most jobs created by any president in his first three years in American history. Mm-hmm. Inflation has dropped a lot over the last year. Gas prices have come back down to earth a little bit. If he can make that case, and also talk about how he's got an infrastructure past. He's addressing the climate change uh, concerns that you're experiencing in Los Angeles. Hell, I'm seeing it in Miami. We've had the hottest summer here we've ever had. If he could talk about these successes and these accomplishments and the need to move forward with that by getting reelected, I think he's going to win reelection comfortably. And finally, with 60 seconds to go here, um, how would you define, how would you describe what the American public saw last night from these Republicans on stage vis-a-vis public policy positions? <laughs> well, it depends on which slice of the American public you're talking about. If you're talking about the MAGA public, yeah. you know, it was right up their alley. If you're talking about the rest of us who saw that clown show, there is no policy prescriptions mm-hmm. other than, you know, we're going to destroy every institution. There was a moment last night, really quick, you heard uh, Vivek talk about, yeah, I want to get rid of the FBI, the Commerce Department, the CIA, the IRS, the Education Department. Like, wait, wait, wait what are you, what's going to be left there, buddy? So, yeah, I think we saw a lot of nuttiness on that stage last night, and that's what the American people mostly saw as well. No, I, I wouldn't disagree. Just want to get your take on it. Fernand Amandi, Democratic pollster and MSNBC political analyst. Fernand, I enjoyed it immensely. We'll do it again. Thank you for your time, sir. All the best to you. Anytime. Best to you, Tavis. Take, take care. Appreciate you very much.